We all love Christmas, the songs, the scenes, the traditions. But the story can become too familiar. What if this year we took a look with fresh eyes and Christmas became less sentimental and more sensational? Join us today as we look at Christmas Restoried. Today we light the candle of hope. We live in a world that is desperately in need of hope. Many of us here today need more hope in our personal lives. As we read this scripture and light this candle, let us remind ourselves that there is only one person to whom we return as a source of certain hope, the baby in the manger, who is also the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, with perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul, firm and secure. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll get you to open to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And we'll begin reading in verse 18. <clears throat> the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. This is the word of the Lord. One of the inherent challenges uh, with Advent is looking at familiar stories and texts and letting them uh, grab your heart rather than lull you to sleep. And, and I mean no disrespect by that, but pretty much every pastor I know finds preaching at Advent a challenge. It's a challenge to, 
to lead a church full of, full of, you know, been there, done that Christmas experts, to lead them beyond kind of the, the natural, sentimental nostalgia that we feel during the season, to lead them beyond that into this sensation afresh that is a Christmas story. In a way, of course, that, that shapes our stories and addresses our hearts. And so during this Advent, we are attempting to kind of restory your heart in the greatest story ever through a fresh take on, on some of the characters such as Shepherds and Mary that our drama team has put together, but also by calling you to respond to Advent in some specific ways, some specific actions that we think will renew your experience of awe and wonder at the news of great joy for all people. Now, in the tapestry of the Christmas story, we find perhaps the most profound truth of the Christian faith lying there in three little words. God with us. God with us. So earth-shattering is this claim that when John Wesley, the the great preacher, uh, hymn writer, the founder of the Methodist Church, who had a front-row seat onto one of the greatest revivals in the history of the world, when John Wesley was dying, the last words that he spoke were these, quote, the best of all is God with us. Three words at the core of the Christmas story that in this baby, that in this seven-ish pounds of, of squirming limbs and unfocused eyes is God who has come for the explicit purpose to be with us. That's the Christmas message. And if you don't see in this declaration something so outlandish that some are going to see it as ridiculous fantasy or others as outright blasphemy, you have not heard the Christmas message for what it is. The Apostle Paul, speaking to some Christians in Corinth, says this, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But Paul could just as easily have said, We preach Christ born, or we preach Christmas And that poses no less of a problem for people than his death. Because Christmas is the declaration that once upon a time, something happened. That a baby was born. And this baby was Emmanuel. God with us. You see, everything else around Christmas, everything else that comes with the holidays is so minuscule in comparison to that. Right? The holiday message to try to put on our societal facelift once a year and be a little bit kinder and nicer to each other. You know, the let's all work to increase the quantity of merriment and good cheer throughout December. Or even the Christmas call to work towards more peace on earth as good as all that is, those are just wisps compared to the hurricane force declaration in those three words, God 
with us. So this morning, I want to simply look at each one of those words. I want to hold it up before your minds and your imagination. And then at the end, I'm going to ask you to respond to them in a way that I think is most fitting for our Emmanuel. Okay? First word. It's like preaching charades here. First word. God. The Bible declares that God is, quote, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Now, by and large, religious people of all stripes would agree with a similar declaration to that, even though they might use different names for God. Jews might call him Yahweh, Muslims call him Allah, Hindu call him Brahman, Atman, but whatever name they use, they would say something like, God is the one who is over us, who is infinitely above us, who is wholly other than us. So this idea of a divine being who is outside of time and space, who stands separate from his creation, is not difficult for religious people to accept that thinking. But what makes Christianity or Christmas a stumbling block to the Jews? What makes our faith um, a fairy tale to others is the audacious claim that the God of the universe is not just God over us, but God with us. You see, Christmas claims that when Quirinius was governor of Syria, at the town of Bethlehem, at exactly 31.705 degrees north, and 35.202 degrees east, that God breaks a hole into the wall between heaven and earth between the supernatural and the natural, between divinity and humanity. And when we peer into that hole, we find a baby. A baby. Like the one who is above time and space enters both as a baby. Not a Zeus-like character with a fistful of lightning and a voice of thunder that sends people cowering and covering their ears in terror. He doesn't emerge from the smoking portal like some Marvel superhero. Just the exact opposite. He comes as a vulnerable, defenseless infant. And this is a stumbling block to Jews. This is a claim so audacious that skeptics scoff that this baby is somehow God come to us. Now this incredible claim is totally without any peer in the, in the annals of religious writings or spiritual mythology, there is nothing like this. That the one who is high and lifted up would become low and helpless. That the one who inhabits eternity would actually take a first breath. That the one who Moses could not gaze on and live 
is delivered in a stable under the indifferent gaze of cattle. You see, in Bethlehem, God comes breathing our air, clothed in our skin, shivering in our cold, sweating in our feet. Emmanuel means that the God of all mercy is at ours. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. So when shepherds arrive, and they peer down at this newborn face. They are seeing the face of God. For that is who Jesus is. Christmas is God so accommodating himself to us that he moves into our realm, into our dimension, into our story, into our flesh as the eternal, all-powerful creator born a baby. And if this is true, if this is true, like this is the chief of all truths, like there's nothing bigger than this. To paraphrase Tim Keller, if it's not true, then it's the truth that we would make true if we could wish it into being. Because this truth, this story, makes so much sense of all of our longings and our angst all of our pain, all the wonderment of life, all that we feel, for it would bring a thrill of hope for a weary world to rejoice, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, that on this one day, at this one spot, for one time, two plus two doesn't equal four, but a million. For God has come. That this baby is God is remarkable. But the second word might even be more remarkable than the first, because he's not just God, he's God with. You see, the way that he comes, the manner of his coming, confirms the purpose of his coming. That in Jesus, God doesn't come just to be revered or feared or pampered or served. He comes as Emmanuel. And this is a highly relational term. This is a term that cracks open the chest of God and shows us his heart. That God is a relational being who loves who enjoys, who, who desires to be with his people. Now, if you're new to church, I hope that you see in the Christmas story that behind it all is the God of the Bible who yearns and moves towards the objects of his love. That's what's happening in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is God not being content with merely being God over us or God watching us, or not even God who thinks about us. He is God with. And this English word with describes the deepest heart of Emmanuel. So when you think of the manger, and you think of all the humble circumstances that surround Jesus' birth, I hope you see in them a desire to be with. 
Like, for example, God could have orchestrated it some other way. Jesus didn't have to touch down in Bethlehem. Like, he didn't have to be born in a barn. Like, he could have been born in a place of prominence, in a place of prestige. I mean, if God can float the baby Moses right into Pharaoh's, you know, household, the most powerful um, person on the face of the earth that time, he surely could have done something different with Jesus. But Jesus doesn't arrive behind some walled palace or behind some posh-gated community they only, that only VIPs would get access to. He isn't born behind some spiritual paywall, but in a stable, like out in the open where livestock are wandering in and out. And this is the divinely orchestrated setting that best fits God's heart. It all demonstrates Jesus' desire to be noble, to be accessible, to be relatable to us. And this hasn't changed. In his coming, God declares that I am Emmanuel. And he still declares that I can be your Emmanuel. The one and almighty entered time and space to let each of us know that we're not alone in either. Like you are not adrift in life. Like you don't have to fly solo through any of it. Not with the boss that you can't please or the marriage that you can't fix. You're not alone in the cancer you can't heal or the death that you can't undo. We're not alone in any of it because Christmas is the promise that no less than God is with us in all of it, through all of it. Let me just pause for a moment. Now, if, if you're new to church, man, I'm so, so glad that you were here. I hope you keep coming back. But one of the things that you can miss in the cuteness of the Christmas story, in the kind of the sentimental images around the Christmas story, is the greatest paradox of the Christmas story. Because the smallness and the ordinariness of this baby might shield you from the fact that, that God is most revealed where he is also most hidden simultaneously. Like by that, I mean God is most accessible to us, most demonstrated to us in the place where we can most easily dismiss him. That similarly, his glory is most comprehensible where it is most veiled at the same time, and that is in Emmanuel, because it's just a baby. And so we could so easily downplay the colossi that is Emmanuel. Like if you don't go to church regularly, if you don't kind of wrestle through the claims of Jesus and the fullness of his life, if you just do kind of Christmas Jesus, you might mistakenly think that this baby makes God small or somehow enfeebled or, or not really a significant player in the story of your world. And I would say to you, don't be fooled by how unassuming Jesus is. 
If you're like Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights and you believe that baby Jesus is your favorite Jesus, then you might imagine a paltry, puny God that has little relevance to your life or little power to break into your world with something supernatural. But that isn't the case. Like part of the the brain-bending claim of Christianity is that the bigness of God isn't erased in the smallness of this baby. Like the grandeur and the spectacle that is, is God isn't deleted by the ordinariness of the man Jesus. The Apostle Paul would say, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And because that's true, Jesus would say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. You see, Emmanuel is in every way God Almighty, but it is God Almighty stooping down in love to be with. With you as your new reality. With you as your new resource, with you as your forever ally. You see, when Jesus was born, God came closer to us than he had ever been so that we would have unshakable confidence that he is with us for good. And the fact that our God is Emmanuel tells me that there isn't a single moment when his eye is off us or his heart is bored with us or his patience is done with us. There's not a single moment where he slips into apathy or indifference toward us We're never at risk at something shinier or newer or better catching his eye and distracting him away from us. The fact that the infinite became an infant, the fact that our creator became creation, that the word became flesh, all declare the depths of God's commitment to his people. So right now, whatever you bring in here with you, Whatever looms on your horizon, whatever you are carrying that feels too big for you, you can know that God hears your cry, sees your need, knows your sin, and is with you in all of it. Because at the cross, God the Father turned and abandoned his son over to death so that he would never have to abandon us. Those famous words of God, those words that a lot of you know so well, I will never leave you or forsake you, those words became living flesh at Bethlehem. And they became eternal promises inked in Jesus' blood at the cross. Emmanuel is not just God. It's God with, God linking his godness to our flesh forever it's God forever fusing himself to our humanity to his people forever because he's not just God he's God with and so no wonder no wonder when the baby took his first breath that the angels broke into song All the awe 
and the anticipation in heaven at this moment drove them to sing and praise. And I want you to notice what our drama team did so, such a good job of articulating to you. I want you to notice the audience that hears them. It's the shepherds. Why shepherds? Why does this detail make it into the story? Because in the hierarchy of first century Israel, um, these guys, shepherds, they're like entry-level guys at best. Right? No power brokers, no influencers among them. These are guys whose, whose aptitude moves somebody at a job interview to say, hey, we got a spot for you in our company. It's away from the general public, in the wilderness, looking after somebody's animals. That's how we think you could best help us. Go away into the wilderness. Right? There's not a heavy hitter among them. But it is to them that the angels come and announce the good news. So why? Why do they get this golden invitation to come and see, to come to Bethlehem? Well, you know why they got it? It's so that we would know that he is God with us. Not God with the awesome. Not God with the elite. Not God with the powerful and the put together. But God with ordinary, everyday folks like us. You see, friends, if he was willing to be birthed into less than ideal setting with animals and shepherds, he is willing to enter our world. He is God with us. Regular, struggling, stumbling, often confused us. The us who has mixed motives and shoddy track records. The us that always tries to amplify and highlight our brilliances and downplay and hide our blemishes. He offers to be with us in all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly. And, and here is maybe the best part. The best part of the Christmas declaration is that he is our Emmanuel, not in spite of our weariness, not in spite of our struggles, but because of them. We sing, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Notice we don't sing, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and we all felt like schmucks because he told us how brutal we are over and over again. Christmas is the radical claim, the astounding promise that we don't need to unburden ourselves for him to come to us. It's our burden that actually draws his heart. This is how much worth your soul carries to God. This is how much that you are loved by him, that he would leave heaven and come to earth. He would leave his, his lofty position and condescend and descend down to us. Matthew says in verse 21 that he will save his people from their sins. I love what Ray Ortland says. He says, Matthew doesn't say he will save his people from being sinners. 
for it is with sinners he dwells. It is to sinners that he gives himself. It is, it is to sinners who receive his invitation to come, and it is sinners he saves. You see, every story, every detail of the story from the setting to the supporting cast to the manner of Jesus' arrival all demonstrate this dogged tenacity, this unshakable commitment from God to be our Emmanuel because we matter to him. He cares about us. And if he is for us that much, then who could possibly be against us? Who could possibly be against you? Not even you. Uh, I remember hearing something that stuck with me. Uh, A pastor pointed out how often the emphatic pronoun himself is used to describe just how personally God is involved in our lives for our good. Like, for example, you might know this word, this verse, After you have suffered a little while, let me just hit pause. When Peter writes this, he's not downplaying your suffering or minimizing the stuff we go through. He's comparing our suffering with what is to come eternally for us. After we have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, let me just pause right there again. Um, if, if God had a contest saying, name the divinity, and the deepest hope of my heart would come up with a name, it would be that one. The God of all grace. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He adopts your struggle as his struggle. Or how about this one? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Like he can't be any more committed to you than that. He can't be any more in it to win it for you than that. Or what about right now in the present? Paul says in Romans 8, the Spirit himself intercedes for us that's right now that's this moment and what if we look ahead well we read these great words for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry a command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first our past our present, our future. God is committed to it all. Emmanuel then is still Emmanuel now. What did the Word made flesh say when after he, he walked out of the tomb? What did he say? I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am Emmanuel to the very end of the age. God could not be more personally invested, more personally committed, more personally involved. So when he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, he means it, and he proved it at Christmas. And so you have the chance today. You have the opportunity today to believe afresh in Emmanuel. 
And that choice of faith is what prepares your inner world to meet Jesus afresh, to meet Jesus in his power and in his hope and in his life-shaping commitment to you. I'm going to get the band to come up. And if you have never done that, maybe you've been to church and you're kind of kicking the tires of spirituality and you've got some questions about Jesus and, and your questions might not be all answered. I get that. But you can start. You can posture your heart where you can turn toward this God and say, man, I'm in. I want what Jesus is offering. I need, I need you to be with me. And you can pray today, and that can become your reality. And for the rest of you who, who you know the story, and you know Central, and you've done church, how do you respond to the God who gives us his own presence? Give him yours. Give him yours. like into this season of packed calendars and overflowing schedules, into this time of the year where our already limited margin feels like we've got none, give him your presence. Isn't it ironic that in the season when we celebrate that God laid aside all of the potential stuff that could have been on his agenda, I mean, what's happening on the far side of Andromeda and that, you know, neutron star that's about to collapse and create a black hole and to the, you know, task of getting the sun to come up every morning. In light of all that stuff that he could be doing, he lays it all aside for one thing, to be Christ born, our Emmanuel. And so how do you enter into Advent with a renewed commitment to give him more of your presence, more of your attention, more of your time. Invest in those practices that fuel your worship, that fan the flames of your affection to Jesus hotter, that grow your faith in him. Central, draw near to him now. He's not going to force himself into your schedule. Don't wait till January to make some commitment to finally get into the word again. Do it now. What if you right now said, I just want to know you. I want to know you more. I want to be closer to the God who moved heaven and earth. And what if you just asked the Spirit to show you, what does that look like? What does your next step look like? Let me pray for us. Uh, if, if you're here and, and you wouldn't have called yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian and, and you want to know the God who went to this end for you if, if, if something about the Christmas story is, is moving something in your heart something that you long for something that you, you dare hope for something that you said man if I could make that true I wish it I would wish it into being then you can begin your journey with God right now praying with me. There's nothing magical in my words, but you could pray, God, I thank you so much that you love us, you love me so much that you would come as Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God with us, God one of us, 
that you would live the life that I couldn't live and you would die the death that I deserve to die to liberate me from all the things that would keep you, keep me from you, all the sins that would, would keep me from being the you you recreated me to be. And so I receive your forgiveness. I open myself up to your grace. I bow my knee to you as Lord and God of my life. Help me follow you. Help me believe in you. Help me orient my life towards you, Jesus. Thank you. And for the rest of us, might the Spirit of God prompt you and move you closer toward the God who loves you, believing that as we draw near to God, He draws near to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.